The year is 1957. The average movie ticket costs 62 cents. Egypt reopens the Suez Canal after British and French troops leave the country. Whammo releases the first Frisbee toy. Singapore is granted self-rule from the UK. Elvis Presley buys a mansion in Memphis, Tennessee. And The Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss is released. The hot movies of the year include The Seventh Seal, Twelve Angry Men, An Affair to Remember, Funny Face, Jailhouse Rock, and today's film, The Bridge on the River Kwai. The hot albums of the year include Here's Little Richard, After School Session, Johnny Cash with his hot and blue guitar, Elvis's Christmas album, A Swingin' Affair, and today's album, Round About Midnight. So, Dad, who made this album? What's it about? Okay, Roundabout Midnight. This is one of, as I could tell, one of three albums that was released by Miles Davis in 1957. So he was obviously busy that year. And this is the first foray on the podcast outside of pop rock, I guess, is, is what we would call our, all the other albums we've done so far. So obviously shifting into a jazz album. I did a little bit of research on this album, and according to Cadence Magazine, which is a, a jazz magazine, they consider it, quote, essential recording in the history of recorded music. So it, it is a highly, highly praised and I think very well-known jazz record. Uh, it, and they, uh, many uh, jazz aficionados consider this band uh, to be Miles Davis's first great quintet. I think he, in his career, he put together a lot of really, you know, considered fantastic bands with him as the leader. Uh, and I, I don't really have a whole lot more. I'll, I'll just name off the uh, the actual musicians. So Miles Davis plays on trumpet. John Coltrane, one of the greats in saxophone, is on tenor saxophone. Red Garland on piano. Paul Chambers is on the double bass, and Philly Joe Jones is on drums. Uh, that's really, really all I've got in terms of the background of the album. It, it is, I think, an album that even non-jazz fans may be somewhat familiar with. I think it's it's a super, super popular uh, jazz album, and we'll get into why, I'm sure, as we go through the songs. But as we've started to do over the last couple podcasts, uh, let's start off with the album cover. Thoughts? Um, I think it's a it's a good album cover. It's I think it's very reflective of the album. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, it's kind of a a washed out photo of Miles Davis. It's completely tinted red, or his his face his body it's kind of a i guess a, a shot from his torso on up or his chest on up it's not full body shot and it's his whole face his arms his hands is all tinted red on a black background he is of course wearing sunglasses as i believe at some point he never took his sunglasses <laughs> off he's known for always wearing sunglasses and he's cradling his head in one hand and kind of cradling his trumpet in the other. And, you know, I I think it's an okay album cover. I mean, I think it does kind of try and define 
that kind of cool look yeah. of Miles Davis, you know, the, you know, kind of the somewhat, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. He's kind of distant, you know, but it, you look on him, you think, okay, that's kind of a cool guy. He, he obviously yeah. has a cool yeah. look Yeah, he's him. looking down. He's wearing a suit. And, you know, the background's all black. Um, and... Yeah, I mean it's it's not like it's not like the most wonderful picture. <laughs> yeah, or but it, at all. it's cool, and, it, and it, I think it fits the album. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but uh, and yeah, and it shows he's cool. I yeah, guess. I mean I think most people consider Miles Davis. Uh, he, I, I know I think personally he might not have been the nicest of guys. Yeah, you know I think uh, similar with a lot of these jazz, not just jazz musicians, but a lot of musicians, kind of egotistical, you know, kind of full of themselves maybe did too many drugs at one point and this and that. Uh, but he, it does kind of show his, his kind of cool, this is pre sixties, but it's got that, the skinny tie kind of look. And, uh, and, and I think it does, it represents the album well. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll be able to discuss why as we move into the actual songs, which I think we should just jump into. I don't think there's a, much more yeah. to say about the album cover. It, it's not like, a, it's not a Sgt. Pepper or anything where you're yeah. going to dissect what it, what everything means. So let's move into the songs. And before we jump into that, again, this is the first instrumental album we've done. Mm -hmm. So no lyrics to talk no about. Lyrics. We can't dive into poetry of the lyrics or trying to figure out what what the song meanings are or anything like that. Uh, and it's only got what one, two, three, four, five, six songs on it. Six songs. Um, all of them generally were anywhere from five to seven minutes long. Yeah. Uh, and obviously instrumental. So the first one is called "Round Midnight," uh, and the one thing I did I did look this up. It's written by the great jazz pianist the Thelonious Monk, or Thelonious Sphere Monk, Sphere Monk. To, to give him his full his full name. Uh, and just right off, I think the vibe of this song kind of represents the title well. You know, it's it's that late yeah. night, I put kind of post-night out feel. Yeah, it's it's very moody. It's very atmospheric. It's like you're in a jazz club. Yeah. And this kind of, I'm not, you know, I don't know a lot about jazz. I haven't listened to tons of jazz. Um, but this kind of jazz makes me feel like I'm in a movie. Yeah. You know, I suddenly want to lean up against the lamppost and, and start smoking. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's funny. Uh, obviously, we've, we've done a number of, of things around the 60s, the late 50s now, early 70s. Smoking seems to be a big theme. Yeah. <laughs> and as bad as we know smoking is, it's it does cool. kind of want you to, you get the feeling that you want to at least have a cigarette in your hand. Yeah. Smoking, yeah, it's not good. I would never do it, but it looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, and I put kind of similar. I, I put that... Uh, it kind of evokes this it, to me the image of sitting in a club or a lounge you know it's you're kind of tired you're coming down from maybe a night out maybe you've got your your significant other's head on your shoulder as they're falling asleep 
and there's smoke in the mm-hmm. air. Um, it's just that kind of, all right, it's time to chill out kind of vibe. Um, until there's a point where the rhythm does pick up. Yeah. So the rhythm picks up in, in the middle. And to me, this is kind of like, okay, you got your second wind now. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've sat down, you chilled for a little while, and someone says, hey, does, does anyone want to go to the next club? Or let's go get, get a burger or something. You know, let's go yeah. do something. Why are we just sitting around here? And you know you're kind of up and out, moving around again. Okay. And so yeah, you see, you're telling a story. Yeah. It's telling a story. It's telling a story to me. I yeah, yeah. I think it's. I, and I don't know how. Like this is pretty much all. Like I can't talk about really about uh, instrumental or. So I so I, I mean I can only talk about how like the feeling of it because that's all like it's all how I yeah. felt listening to it. Not really. In how the musicianship is. Yeah, and I've got a note, you know, kind of in my overall thoughts that I don't really know the language of jazz. I don't know. I find it easier to talk about rock music or pop yeah. music. Uh, so I'm not sure, you know, if someone were listening to this and they were a real jazz musician or a big fan, they'd probably say, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Um, but because really all I was able to, yes, the song, I enjoy it. It's fun to listen to. It, it evokes a mood. I did kind of make a note of how it starts off with the trumpet, kind of this muted trumpet sound. And then when the rhythm kicks in, the saxophone takes over. So, and I found this to be kind of a general, uh, a th- not theme, but a, a pattern on all of these songs where it starts out with one of the musicians is mm-hmm. kind of up front. They fade out. So another instrument comes up, plays for the next however minutes. Then another instrument yeah. comes up. And then it's a lot of times it circles back to the trumpet. Yeah, that's something too that I, that I and that's, Kind of, that's what like my perception of jazz is, and it, it may be completely wrong, but that like that's what ja- that's what's cool about jazz is it's kind of like semi improvised right. at times, and then also like you know each member kind of gets their time when they do their own thing, and then they fade back, and then someone else takes over. Yeah, and and I think that's the perception of I have of jazz too. I've seen some jazz live. And I, you always do get that idea that, okay, you get your solo bit, the next person comes in and they get their solo bit, they're all improvising around the same tune, and I think what we can talk more about that as we move into the other songs, yeah. but um, you know, I, again, I've got that the saxophone replaces the trumpet, then the piano is just kind of there, you know, in the yeah. background, the drums are just kind of there, the bass is kind of subtle. Uh, and and then again, it circles back around to the trumpet, and then they start kind of. They do. They start doing it more on the next. They song. start doing, you know, mimicking things, and you know, it's it's definitely a good kickoff to the album, and it, and I think it evokes the the title of the album, and of course the title of the song too. Um, but again, I, I don't have a whole lot more to say, and I think 
I think we're going to zip through this album yeah. pretty quickly because we don't have lyrics to, to really dive into. And again, we're not experts in jazz. I think it's really more of our, how did we just emotionally react to it? Yeah. So the second song is, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, it's A-L-E-U-C-H-A, A-H-L-E-U-C-H-A. This one was written by another great saxophonist, Charlie Parker. Um, so I think this is another theme on, on, in jazz in general where they pick songs that are either written by other people or they're standards, what they call standards, yeah. and they just riff on them. Yeah, yeah. That's my and, and that's what I think, too. And, and in this one, it has more of the other members yeah. of the band getting their time, as we were talking about before. Because in the first song, it's like mostly the trumpet. There's a saxophone. And I mean, again, it's my, I mean, he's the leader, he, right? He's, so he's gonna play, but I and I'm sure he's very good. I don't know, but uh, I as I was listening to I I I tend I think I tended to like it when he wasn't playing as when it was the other members playing. And I mean, I this know. one I've got that it's almost the opposite of the opening tune because it kicks in and it's 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 more kind of upbeat. And right away, and I've got that the two horns are kind of constantly they're bouncing off of each other. It's kind of like they're having a conversation between the trumpet and the saxophone. drums are a little bit more obvious and you can really hear the bass kind of going up you know running their mm -hmm. scales sort of sort of bit and th you're right this one's got a lot more of the other instruments up front versus the the um versus you know just miles davis playing and kind of over everybody yeah. and it's more jaunty this one's yeah a little more it's more upbeat. upbeat and there are there's a series of to me, there's a series of sort of drum breaks, drum fills that came in at the end that, that I really liked. And yeah. that is something that I noted, too, through all of these, that I think the even though the bass and the drums don't generally get those solos, yeah, I think they're really holding the, the whole yeah, record that's, in yeah, place. Yeah, I noticed that, too. Because the drum, even if the drums aren't doing a solo, it's like them holding the rhythm. Yeah. And them holding the rhythm the whole time. And I think it goes for really any band. Yeah, you're not right. Not just jazz. But yeah, and then when but when the drum does get a solo or a little bit of a time to shine, it's it's nice. Yeah, it stands out. And um the just, you know, the this one seemed more of a a band effort maybe than the first one. Uh from from that we we go right into a song called All of You. Written by Indiana's own Cole Porter. So again, this so this is one of those standards. Uh, so this follows in that jazz tradition of kind of the the songbook, the standards, and they just come in and they they kind of change the song and make it completely their own. In fact, I, I you know I, I'm familiar with this song. I wouldn't have been able to identify this as that song. 
Um, I don't know the song, but. Because, it, it, again, it, jazz, they're, they're obviously taking it. They're making their own. They're improvising. Uh, to me, the um, I really like the piano in this one a lot. Uh, you know, the, the piano had kind of a, you know, a swing feel to it. But, again, it's one of those where it starts off with the trumpet. They kind of make their way through the instruments, swings back around, and Miles finishes out the song. Yeah. it's And I know this is only the third song, but it's almost almost halfway yeah. through the album and at this point where I I don't have like that much to say really I'm just like it's kind of more the same it's good it's good jazz and I um it's the same kind of thing it's good they're good at playing <laughs> yeah. and uh but it's kind of the same thing and 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 with this one and the next one too they you kind of meld together which isn't bad that they meld together. Um, and like some of it, I was, I listen to this album sometimes like doing homework. It's, you know, it just, it's ba- It's good background music. Right. It just kind of washes over you. made a note of that too because you know i have heard various jazz musicians and i've heard this of classical music too where you know fans of or musicians that play those types of music will say it shouldn't just be background music yeah that you should be engaged in it just as much as you are with singing along with your favorite rock song or pop song and you know really kind of actively listening uh, but that being said, and I would, I guess I would agree in theory, yeah. but not, I feel like jazz in many ways is best listened to. If you want to be engaged in it, you have to be there live. Yeah. Because then you're, you're not only listening, but you're seeing, and you're, there's the more, a more visceral experience of seeing the trumpeter or seeing the saxophonist or the pianist or the, the drummer or whoever you know, really emoting and you can kind of be in the moment, I still find that to me generally, I would put this album on while cooking dinner or yeah. when friends are over and you just want some music on in the background or maybe, like you said, doing homework or chilling out even just maybe I want to lay down in the afternoon and just have something on while I'm going to take a nap. Not yeah. that this is music to put you to sleep, but that's the... That's how I tend to use jazz. Yeah, and especially this, that kind of slower jazz. But yeah, I and I yeah I feel bad saying like oh well like I can't pay attention to right. it. But because uh, it, it's it's really good and, and I'm sure there's so many little things that you know they're doing that I just that we don't just, understand. Right, and, but. And and when you said the two songs kind of go together, all of you blends into "Bye Bye Blackbird." Again, this is another st- American standard song, so it kind of makes sense that those two kind of meld together. And, and I I put down that it's very similar to the previous tune. You know, you've got the trumpet section, you got the sax section, you got the piano section, and then back to the trumpet. Um, I like again. I I tend to pull out 
the piano and the drums and the bass in these songs as being my favorite parts more than the saxophone and the trumpet, which is probably odd because the two most famous musicians on these are Miles Davis and John Coltrane. Yeah. So um, it's just to me though it's there was there's something about the other three instruments that I found kind of more interesting to listen to, and I did try very purposely to pay really close attention to these songs when I was listening. Yeah. So I could maybe have something a little more to say about it. But I am finding myself saying, yes, I liked it. it was yeah, good. it's just like that. It's good. And yeah, I like the, I mean, it's true. I, I did find myself liking the piano, liking the, like, other stuff, the other instruments, not like the main stars. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why, but that's what I felt. And yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I tried to listen to these actively listen to them um but like i again i would find myself kind of drifting drift, away drifting and focusing on something else yeah and then i'd be like oh wait i forgot wait the right. song yeah i forgot i'm supposed to be paying attention to this and it's not because it's bad no it's just to me that's what it does and it's, it's and so yeah it's kind of hard and we'll definitely get this when with rating i'm like it's hard for me to rate this i don't know um, I mean, it it's it's mood music in in, in a yeah. lot of ways, um, and I did put you know through Bye Bye Blackbird, the album was becoming a little samey. This was this is the longest song on the album too, um, and and I mean we're we're breezing through this because there's only two more songs left. The next one's called Tad's Delight, uh, and and again not written by anybody in the in this ex- band on the album. It's written by a different pianist named Tad Dameron. Uh, this one to me though it has a little bit more of the what some people might think of as jazz, kind of the the avant-garde sound, because it's not quite as melodic. There's a little bit more dissonance or off-tune types of sound to it. This one, um, I think, was one of my favorite ones. Just It was not as long. I think it was yeah. actually, like, fairly short, like, maybe less than five minutes, maybe. Um, and... Um, to me, it had a more memorable little... And I do think some of it is because it's not as smooth sounding, too, as, as some of the other albums. I mean, some people, when they think of jazz, they think of that really avant-garde jazz where, you know, the horns are out of tune and it's some people would describe it as squeaking and squonking and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, this one's a little bit... This one stands out, I think, of all the songs because it's not just that kind of smooth, easy to listen to. There's, there's a little bit more to 
latch on to. The, the rhythm's a little bit more um, complex. It's a little bit more discordant sound. Um, so yeah, this one is good. And maybe it's because this one's written by a pianist, too. Maybe that's why. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I did like this one. And then it wraps up with the song called Dear Old Stockholm, which is just listed as a traditional tune, okay. uh, which I, I don't know whether that what that means. For, for this one, like, the things I'd written down, we've already kind of talked about, like, uh, we've already kind of talked about yeah. a lot of what I said can kind of apply to a lot of the songs, which, I don't know, that, may, that maybe that's bad. Uh, we can't. We can't really describe I don't want to, like, anything. give a blanket statement right. for every song, but, like, it kind that's really all I can do. And the only other thing that I kind of want to bring up, because the only other jazz album that I've ever listened to is Time Out. Oh yeah, okay. By Dave Brubeck. Dave Brubeck. And so I was like kind of comparing it to that just because that's the only other jazz album that like I'm familiar with. Um and I don't know, maybe that's like blasphemous to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to like compare these two. Um and you know, I don't know anything, so it's like they're kind of similar, but see the only thing that Time Out has like it has like this Roundabout Midnight like doesn't have a standout song, right? To and me, that that one like Take Five like take is five. like Take Five is like I I love Take Five. It's a great song. Well, and that one's that album's different, and specifically Take Five in that, you know, there's a melody there or a rhythm that sticks in your head, much like a a hook in a pop song would. You know, I I can't really. I can't really, in my mind, reproduce any of these songs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, Take I, I Five. Can, yeah, Take I Five can, has a very memorable. Yeah, more maybe because it's like more pop. Maybe not as like at what for whatever reason, but like yeah, it has a more memorable like a riff, riff or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, thing that like I can remember. Um, and it, I don't know what yeah. year that album came out. On. I think it came out like pretty, maybe a Similar. few years later. I don't know. Not not too long, and you know again it's hard to compare jazz. I know there's various jazz styles and 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 jazz eras and jazz um, kind of genres, uh, and, and I don't know where that falls in line with this. But um, you're right. You know, a lot of what we're saying is that it was it's an it was enjoyable to listen to, uh, and I've already stated you know that I think that. Jazz in general, for me, is almost always going to be cocktail party music or dinner mm-hmm. party music or background music um, with the occasional, okay, I'm going to turn the volume up for take five or whatever, a particular song. Uh, but I'm not going to, I can't, I don't find myself able to engage in it as emotionally or actively as pop rock music, just because that's just, that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that's just how it is for me. And I can try, and I have tried my hardest to really <laughs> yeah. like engage. And it, yeah, and I, if it's not live, and I'm just doing, cause like, just doing something, I end up, you, you know, end up, my you, focusing on something yeah. else, like doing something. If I'm wa- if I'm outside looking at something, just uh, just something. But it doesn't make it's bad. And it doesn't mean it's bad. And. So yeah, so if you want to move on to rating it, I... yeah, I mean, I just right before before we rate it, I did put you know that um, this is a very approachable record, you know, it's not something out there, it's not super arty or or you know avant garde or something that you'd have to struggle to enjoy. I can see why it's so popular because it's easy to listen to. I mean, there's nothing. I hate to say it's there's nothing challenging about it because they're probably if you're an, a musician, you're probably thinking, "Why, wow, you know, the technique on the trumpet or the sax or the piano or whatever is incredibly hard to do." But as a listener, I you could put this on probably for almost anybody, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's kind of nice." Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> like know? everybody likes jazz, <laughs> right? And and like to me, this is kind of off topic, but like jazz is the real to me like jazz is the best christmas music like i think jazz like it's not christmas music but i think like jazz to me is like the best christmas music it's like gives you that feel of yeah and i mean and we when we did the christmas episode you know there were certain things in there that were definitely jazz tinged and i'm even thinking back to the the 1945 episode uh you know when we did the um the top ten, yeah, on the on the hit parade. A lot of that was jazz oriented music, but a different type of jazz. Uh, it's easy to enjoy this kind of music. And also, this back to the Christmas thing, possibly the greatest Christmas album, the Charlie Brown Christmas. You're jazz right, ja- it's and that's jazz. You're right. <laughs> You're exactly right. I didn't even think so, about like, that. So like that's what like to me like that is that gives you a feel jazz. Or at least this kind of jazz gives you, gives me like a homey, relaxing feel that's good for holidays or yeah. whatever. So I, again, I think we both agree it's an enjoyable record. Um, we're not very great at reviewing. Yeah, <laughs> this, this kind is of, definitely this not kind our of music. <laughs> but I'm glad we listened to it um, because it, you know it's good to branch out in, in terms of genres. Um, rating? Yeah, rating, it's hard because it does, I think it does exactly what it aims to do, and it does it well. Yeah. So it's like, well, and in that way, like, to me, it's similar to, like, Radiohead for me, where I was like, it does what it's trying to do, Mm -hmm. and it's good. It's just, it's not, like, my personal favorite thing that I would listen to all the time. Right. It's not the go-to all the time. There's a moment in time or in a situation where you're like, okay, I'm going to put on a jazz album or Roundabout and Midnight because it fits the mood. Um, I rated it an 8 out of 10. Again, just because it's an easy listen. It's obviously musically, the musicianship is tremendous. Uh, It does what it's supposed to do. Uh, 
And and some of it might just be because I know it's so highly acclaimed. I figure. Yeah, I should like. I should sh- love this. It should be a ten out of ten. Yeah, but. I, I mean, I rated it a three and a half out of five. Oh yeah. But we. I forgot. I believe are changing to it be a, out of ten. Yes. Just like the movies, so that they're the same. Um, but it it may be. I think a seven and a half. Yeah, that's so. I, I I I I apologize. I meant to mention that before we jumped right into the ratings. Just do just to make things consistent. In all the previous ver- episodes we've done, out of five for the album and out of ten for the movie, off mic uh, we decided. Well, let's let's make it more consistent, and it gives us a little bit more flexibility too mm-hmm. on the ratings. So from here going forward, for both the album and the movie we're going to do out of 10. Uh, so, yeah, this way you can give it a seven and a half instead yeah, of a seven. A seven. That, yeah. Uh, so, so looks like seven and a half for Simon and eight out of 10 for me for Miles Davis's Round About Midnight. I think that's the quickest review we've ever done. Yeah, very quick. <laughs> very quick. All right. Well, that was the album uh, for uh, 1957. And uh, we'll take a very quick break, and we'll be back to talk about the movie. Um, so for the movie today, we watched The Bridge on the River Kwai, a classic war film. It was directed by David Lean, um, who's directed Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, and tons, other of, tons of other movies. <laughs> um, and it stars Alec Guinness, William Holden, and Sesue Hayakawa. Um, it marked a shift into more epic scale British movies, and it was highly successful at the Oscars. Um, it won, I'll just list what it won. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Alec Guinness, Best Cinematography, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Editing, and Best Original Score. So it won seven Oscars, and it won the big ones. Yeah, I didn't realize how, um, I guess, critically acclaimed or Oscar-winning this this movie was. Uh, this is a movie I have seen before. It's been a long time. Uh, you know, I, there were certain things that I remembered. Uh, one of which I think everyone remembers is the the whistling. Marching song, whatever I don't know Colonel what it's called. Colonel Bogey March. Is that what, is it's, what called? it's called? I looked it up. It's called the Colonel Bogey March. And I think uh, you know, if if anyone were to hear it, they they would recognize it, uh, the 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 melody to it, uh, and that was something I immediately remembered was from the movie, uh, and of course a couple of pivotal scenes. But uh, 
Uh, well, I mean, w- uh, the uh, should we just jump in? Yeah, let's just jump in. Um, so, I I I can't remember why I wrote this, but the first note that I wrote was it's kind of funny. I think there must have been like some sort of joke, and it is kind of funny. There is like humor. Yeah, there's humor throughout the whole movie, and um, and and as we, I think we'll probably get into the characters in it and. And kind of the roles they play, because uh, they almost all have a a certain not tr- I don't know if tropes the right word for the characters, but in some ways they're almost all stereotypical. But I think that's kind of the point of the movie too, um, you know, in, in following what is expected of you as a certain as an officer or as an American yeah. or as an English person or as a Japanese person. The thing, the very first thing I wrote down was the very first shot you see are graves along the railroad tracks. Uh, and I was like, okay, so immediately, you know, something about this railroad, there's high stakes with this railroad. It's a railroad of death. <laughs> yeah. um, and it is. Uh, and, you know, very early scenes of, Digging graves yeah, was right. like one. Of, actually, what I think, what I what I wrote about it being funny was that it's they're digging the graves and he forgets who he's even digging right. for, and it's like kind of a joke. Here lies, you know, Weaver. I've forgotten who we just buried. Thompson. Oh yes. Here lies Corporal Herbert Thompson, serial number zero one two three four five six seven. Valiant member of the King's Own, or the Queen's Own, or something, who died of Berry Berry in the year of our Lord 1943. For the greater glory of. What did he die for? Ah, come off it. No need to mock the grave. I don't mock the grave or the man. May he rest in peace. Um, so I was like, it's it, it of... balances that. It's very serious, but it's also there's they, that, they, they, there's that kind of humor, that dark coping humor, yeah, method that in it that I think is also really good. And I did put down um, the William Holden character. I think his name is Shears. Um, mm-hmm. That he's that sarcastic, kind of cocky American, um, maybe a stereotype of what an American is supposed to be. Uh, but he's also the he's kind of the realist in the movie too. Yeah, yeah, he is. I think he is kind of. And now that you mention it, I think yeah, a lot of the characters. I don't know if they're stereotypes or like again, it's it's showing kind of what is expected of each. Yeah. Group or certain type of people, and I think he is. He's kind of this. He's very individualist, right? Which is very an American thing, and, and that's true. I didn't think about that because he's the one that's like, "I'm. Why should I do this? I got. There's nothing in this for me." Like he doesn't care. He he. You know, he just wants to be on the sick list, so he doesn't. He have wants to, to work. survive. He doesn't really care like, about. He's not doing it because of honor, which right. is Alec Guinness's right. whole character is yeah. the honor. Um, so also maybe we should give. A little, a little bit of a premise of, I'm sure a lot of people know something, but yeah. it's, um, it's a war movie. It's set during World War II, but it is a prisoner of war. Movie, yeah, uh, where 
it it's it follows this one camp in a Japanese camp in Thailand. They're in Thailand, yeah. Um, and uh, where Alec Guinness is a British commander of all these British soldiers that are arriving at the camp to work on this bridge to build a bridge, um, and then uh, the American guy is already there, um, and he's you know, trying to escape and it, it's, you know, there's so yeah, many things that happen. Right. But... It, it's, it's basically the story of this prisoner of war camp, as you said, and kind of the, in some ways to me, it was a, it's a battle of wills between Alec Guinness's character, Colonel Nicholson, and then the camp commander, Colonel Saito. Uh, and Saito's under pressure because he has to have this bridge built by a certain date or essentially, he's got to commit suicide. A classic. The, the classic Japanese. You didn't. You know. You didn't. You you lost face, or you know, that kind yeah. of stereotype. And of course, they're using the prisoners as labor, as slave labor. Uh, and uh, the initial conflict is that Alec Guinness says, according to the Geneva Convention, officers shouldn't be doing manual labor. And that's the big battle. And, of course, Saito's like, I don't care. You know, everyone works. Everyone, you, you guys aren't soldiers anymore because you surrendered. You're mm-hmm. not an officer in my eyes. You, you have to, you've got to work. And, and it, it beca- begins this battle of wills between who's going who's gonna to blink first. Yeah. And, th- yeah, and that's true. That kind of is, it's kind of like, it's kind of a quote unquote lame kind of conflict. Like it's such a yeah. it's such a weird thing that like that's the thing, but it really kicks that's the whole kicks off the entire movie is that he doesn't want the officers There's, to work. Right. And then he's like, I don't care. And then it's them, you know, they get put into a, a like a they call it the, they call it the oven, the oven. and it's, it is a real it's thing. It's basically just a metal box out in the heat. I heard your remarks just now, sir. And I can assure you my men will carry on in the way one expects of the British soldier. And naturally, my officers and I will be responsible for their conduct. Now then, sir, you may have overlooked the fact that the use of officers for manual labor is expressly forbidden by the Geneva Convention. Is that so? I happen to have a copy of the Convention with me and would be glad to let you glance through it if you wish. That will not be necessary. Yeah, that they get put in for days, and he, you know, and you know he's, you know, Alkinus refuses. He still right. he never he, 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 he never, never gives, gives in, um, and that's where I I kind of put down that, you know, so he and Saito are almost mirror images of each other, because Alkinus, again, if you want to talk about stereotypes, he's the stereotypical upper class Englishman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's more concerned about the rules and and he's concerned about kind of social standing well officers are above this you know he mm-hmm. he he in some ways he cares more about that as to whether whether he lives or dies or whether his his officers live or die yeah. or whatever punishment is coming he doesn't care he's just obsessed with the rules and Saito is kind of obsessed with well this is the way the Japanese do it and you do what I say, you know, you follow our yeah. rules. They're both just stuck in it's these all, roles that they're yeah. expected of them. It's all principle. 
And he's like, and he even says that I think in the movie yeah. at this point where somebody different soldiers like, why do we have to do this? He's like, it's principle. We right. we want to do it, and he's all about proving that, you know, the British are honorable. They're more civilized. And they're more civilized, and you know, they'll do a good job no matter what. Yeah, because they have honor or whatever. It, and I, I I did quote one line here because again I think there's an element of class superiority because Alec Guinness at one point says I won't have my officers work as coolies and a mm-hmm. coolie is a, a is a derogatory term for I think originally for Indian laborers you know lower class Indians um, so he, he, he feels he's better I think he feels that the English are better than the Japanese of course Yeah. and you're right that's where obviously he becomes twisted in his priorities. Yeah, he yeah he kind and this is way later in the movie, but yeah he be, he kind of loses the bigger picture of what is actually happening. Right. But uh, yeah, and that's something that I know that I thought too because they talk about India in the movie, um, and I'm like they're like the same like I like they're like the Indians like the <laughs> yeah. British did the same thing do, do the India. same things to India that Japan's doing right uh, so it's like but now they're like the good guys they're more superior so right. yeah there's definitely that but that's not really that's not what the movie's about no. but it is that's something I thought but the uh just in general one thing I did note that um you really can feel the heat and humidity the atmosphere Everyone's so sweaty. You know, you see the 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 prisoner having to pull the cord all the time to, to yeah. fan the, the Japanese general. I mean, there's just mud everywhere, and it instantly starts raining. I mean, you really feel like, it's oh, in the jungle. you're in the jungle. Yeah, it's definitely hot. Everyone's sweating. Yeah. It's, I don't know where they filmed it. I looked it I'm up. They filmed it, they filmed somewhere. it in Sri Lanka. So they did film it in the jungle. Uh, so it, it, I'm sure they, these guys really were sweating. Yeah, I'm sure they really were. And and another thing that I that I noticed was the the sound of the jungle. Yeah, the, the like cicada, tree frog. I I put the same thing. Just that, noises is kind of there, and it gives you a it, very good sense of like that they're in a jungle, obviously, but like isolation. They are. Yeah, there's no there's... sounds of anything but the jungle. Yes, Yeah, I put wrote the exact same thing. The sound design is great. You get the insects, the rain, you know, maybe just the water dripping after it rains, the sloshing in the mud. Uh, I don't know if they want, I didn't remember if you said if they want anything for sound. Uh, I don't know if they gave away sound design. I don't know. Uh, Oscars back then. But if they didn't, they should have because it really was very immersive. Yeah, and the isolation. That was what was really... And I, I think I, I, I'd heard this in a class that I was taking about a different film, a film class, and, like, how the sound, like, the cicada sound and stuff is, like, gives that sense of isolation. And so then I and I was 
thinking about that and hearing this, I was like, it's the same thing. And they even talk about how they're in the middle of nowhere. You can't just there's right. no there's no guards. There's no really. guards. There's no like fence, watchtower because where are you gonna go? You can't escape. <laughs> you're on it. You basically like you're on essentially an island. Uh, it's jungle for as far as you can go. You're just gonna die if you try and uh, leave. Obviously, some people still try to escape. Yeah. Um, A word to you about escape. There is no barbed wire, no stockade, no watchtower. They are not necessary. We are an island in the jungle. Escape is impossible. You would die. Today, you rest. Tomorrow, you begin. Let me remind you of General Yamashita's motto. Be happy in your work. Be happy in your work. Well, and that was the other thing, too, uh, where um, uh, finally, I guess I guess maybe we should move the plot forward a little bit. So they put Alec Innes in the oven. The, the, the camp commander pulls him out periodically and essentially tries to bribe him. You know, with food or with this or with that or, you know, oh, well, you don't have to work, but, you know, everyone else does. And he never gives in. Uh, He never gives in. And finally, Saito comes make almost makes up a reason to, to change his rules to say that officers don't have to work. So essentially, Alec Guinness wins that battle of wills. Do you know what is the date today, Colonel? I'm afraid I've lost count. It's the anniversary of our great victory over Russia in 1905. Oh, yes. Throughout East Asia, we are celebrating this date. In honor of this occasion, I have given your troops a day of rest. Many thanks. I am declaring a general amnesty. You and your officers may return to your quarters. As part of this amnesty, it will not be necessary for officers to do manual labor. And, you know, all all of them are are put together and the officers are now, you know, out of isolation or whatever you want to call it. Uh, And now it shifts to the building of the bridge. Yeah, and... Alec Guinness basically convinces the Japanese commander to let his officers take over control of building right. the bridge because they they can do a better job, and because they're you know they're 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 you know way behind schedule and they're building it in the wrong place and and all these different things that again that are kind of proving that you know the British know how to have better engineers they're like, smarter they're, they're smarter yeah. they're, they're 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 more organized they're whatever next point is somewhat unpleasant for all concerned i'm afraid i'm sorry to tell you that we feel the position of the bridge was fixed rather hastily and i have to add incorrectly incorrectly unfortunately yes Major Reeves, our engineer, has made a careful study of the site and has come to the conclusion that the river bottom there is too soft. Too soft? Mud. 
All the work up to now has been quite useless. Reeves, will you carry on? Yes, sir. Colonel Saito, I've made tests. And those piles of yours could be hammered below water level before they'd hold. That bridge would collapse under the first train to cross it. Look, it's all and, and that's where I, I, you start to get the shift in priorities. Uh, so once, once uh, Alec Guinness is back with his people, he's like, no one should try and to escape. You know, there's no point. He's like, I, I agree with Saito. There's no point in us even thinking about escape. And, of course, William Holden and a couple of the other ones are like, don't agree with them at all. You know, they believe that it's their duty to try to escape because they're in, in a war. Uh, and, and, and they do. William Holden and is it two other people? I think two other people try to escape but get killed during the during escape. During the escape. And then he's the only one who makes it out. Right. They think he's been killed, uh, but he does make it out and he ends up in a village, uh, uh, you know, somewhere along the coast. And he survives. Uh, so, so while when that while that's happening, or I guess after that's happening, uh, uh, the Alec Guinness character, as you said, is like, well, we're better, you know, we know what we're doing when it comes to building bridges. You know, we need to we need to get our men motivated and become soldiers and not slaves anymore, and give them a purpose <laughs> to survive. When in the past, all of the the prisoners have been purposely sabotaging. The bridge because they don't want this bridge to go up it's just going to help the enemy yeah so and that's becomes like a major conflict for the stories alec guinness is so much i guess into the principle yeah. of british people being honorable doing a good job building a bridge that's good that he basically starts helping the enemy right and and the other soldiers are like, why Why do we have to do such a good job? <laughs> yeah, like, they're, they're puzzled. Like, yeah, we have to do this, but why do we have to do it so well? And and, and Alec, in it, I mean, they have that conversation. I can't remember if he's talking to the doctor or one of the other engineers. And he's like, isn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful to have something that that is here for posterity that could last for hundreds of years? It's kind of like their legacy. I hope these Japanese appreciate what we're doing for them. At the moment, I'm not concerned with that appreciation. Good night, Clifton. Good night. Good night. Oh, by the way, sir, I meant to tell you, there are trees in this forest very similar to elm, and the elm piles of London Bridge lasted 600 years. 600 years, Reeves? Yes, sir. 600 years. That would be quite something. Yeah. He's thinking of this as his legacy in... in as a as a soldier and an English gentleman, uh, instead of, hey, well, why are we building this great bridge for the enemy to win the war? Yeah. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting in terms of kind of going back to the the mirroring between Saito and Nicholson, um, Saito has had this has this phrase when he's talking to the prisoners: "You should be happy in your work. You should be happy in your work." Uh -huh. And then. Nicholson says um, the men need to take pride in their work. Yeah. So they're basically kind of almost saying the same thing. Yeah, very similar. And there's scenes before, a little bit before that, I don't want to skip over because I thought they were really good. Um, was I especially liked the, I called it the dinner scene, where it's Alec Guinness and Saito, Saito and Vitalik Guinness, and they and like I that is the scene where the power 
shifts. Yeah. And, you know, at the beginning of the scene, Saito has all the control. By the end, Alganus has all the control. Yeah. So I was like, I really like that scene. Majors and above uh, administrative duties, leaving only the junior officers to lend a hand. I'm afraid not. The convention's quite clear on that point. Do you know what will happen to me if the bridge is not ready in time? I haven't the foggiest. I'll have to kill myself. What would you do if you are me? I suppose if I were you, I'd have to kill myself. And, you know, Alec Guinness, like, when he's in the oven for days or whatever, he comes, like, he looks terrible. <laughs> he he's does. He's, like, gray. He's gray. His eyes are all sunken in. He's, like, all, like, he looks dead. You, you can like see why he won the Academy Yeah, Award. you can see why. Because he shifts between the beginning when he first arrives, he's real proud, he gets thrown in the oven for days and days, and then he's 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 this he's a shell of a man, yet he still maintains that kind of dignity. Yeah, he has the like he you know he's kind of stumbling. He can right. barely walk, and then but you know he still manages to walk straight and you know straight back and walks past his soldiers. You know, still puts on that like brave face, like right. And the stiff upper lip thing. Yeah, that he will, and he never, he never changes it. Like the one thing that I kind of wanted to happen that doesn't happen um, was after, you know, he gets released from the oven, and you know, but he's all, you know, he's still all malnourished right. and, and like dying. And but I, 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 I just wanted some a little more, like. Um, humanity like like yeah, a little like, more like, weakness right like, i wanted something to be like yeah you know he marches up but then as soon as he's alone he just like falls like he collapses or or maybe he maybe he faints maybe like what for the soldiers and they have to help him or, or something because i felt like he was just like a little too powerful like yeah. he was he was invincible and he couldn't and that's where I, that's a good point and i do like your point of the dinner meeting because i hadn't really thought of that i mean i i do have that in the end when when Alec Guinness wins this battle of wills, he's kind of now in charge of the whole camp. Yeah. Uh, and But I think you're right. That dinner meeting is the pivotal moment because he refuses to eat. He refuses to, to drink the whiskey or whatever. But then as they're talking, you can see... And Saito, periodically, you even see him preparing to kill himself. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was going to at one point, too, because he knows... He knows he's lost, you know, control of the situation eventually. Yeah, that, and that's that's something too. Is there's there's scenes of Saito that really I think humanize him, and like there are and like I there are times where like I started to kind of feel bad for him, even though he's you know he's Japanese, right. he's the enemy. He's you know obviously you know uh, very ruthless to these people, but like there's scenes of him like crying in right. his bed and. He's like, look like he's like preparing to kill himself. I'm like, I kind of feel sorry for him because he know one. he knows that he's kind of got to go along with this because if the bridge doesn't get built, he's an he's basically a failure. Yet the only way he can allow it to be to get built is if he gives up control. Because then there's that other scene where 
essentially Alec Guinness is running a whole meeting around how to build the bridge. Yeah, yeah, that's a scene that I, the part, and that's when he's like, uh, so he does that, and then before he's like convincing Saito to uh, do it, and it's kind of funny to see how his officers are like, I ran a yeah. time test, a time like, uh, I test, like, like, and I, you know, I measured the soil, and yeah. it's, and it's yeah. too, <laughs> it's way too too soft. You, you'd, you'd never be able to to get uh, yeah. the weight of the train across. Yeah, this and, I did a time study, and we and should see. We should be able to you know, finish. We're, by. we're like not, you know, the 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 workers are not organized. Just like, how did they do well, this? And then he's, and Alec Guinness throws a bunch of shade because he's like, you know, if. You know, if we'd if you'd allow us to be on, we'd be on track if we hadn't wasted all that time. One question: Can you finish the bridge in time? Frankly, the consensus of opinion is that it's impossible. But we'll certainly give it a go. After all, we mustn't forget that we've wasted over a month through an unfortunate disagreement, for which I was not to blame. Yeah. Of him essentially being punished for because of. Yeah. Because of the officers, he's basically backhanded. He you does know, like insults. A, a very British upper class yeah. thing where, like, he doesn't insult someone. He kind of is very, like, passive aggressive. Right. He's like, oh, well, you know, if we didn't waste a month, we would be on time. <laughs> right. Or it's just like all these, like, little things. But it's just like, that was just kind of I was like, and how? And Saito is just sitting there going, Okay, yeah, I agree. And you see the Japanese engineer slink off with the model, and, <laughs> and he kind of disappears. And, and yeah, That's where I was, I was not 100% sure, because at times it seems like the movie is an indictment of that British attitude, because obviously that leads to, to yeah. almost the helping the, the enemy, but at the same time it's a bit of a celebration of the yeah. attitude, too. I don't know. I think it... I'm not sure. I think it kind of does both. I think at least at the beginning, it is celebrating that. Yeah. Or, you know, British are superior. And I think that definitely is there, that the British are superior, that they right. are smarter, that they're better engineers, that they know things. But uh, but I, but also there is, obviously by the end, Alec Guinness has realized he was wrong. Yeah. And, you know... And this, it, that's all the way at the end. So, so yeah, I, maybe it's more of not so much of an indictment of the British attitude, but more of how that thought process has overwhelmed one individual. You know, he as an individual is taking it to the extreme. Uh, but, of course, that attitude of the stiff upper lip and do what's right and principle above, above everything is a good concept, maybe. But it went too far with, uh -huh. with the Nicholson character. What I did find, and, and I know we're jumping around a lot, was you know after William Holden escapes, uh, it's it's interesting how the movie has a very different feel when there's that very brief scene of him in the village, and it's kind of the idyllic, you know, tropical island uh -huh. life with the beautiful Thai women. It's so weird. And then he's in, I don't know if he's in Hawaii, or I don't know where he is. Yeah. When, he, when he's, he's somewhere. Been, when he's been saved. Yeah. And he's, he's on an island somewhere, because they're at a beach. He, he's somewhere pretty close. If not, it's somewhere in Southeast Asia, if not 
Oh, you're maybe right. Maybe even in Thailand. Yeah. Just a different place. And he's hanging out, recovering from his ordeal, and it's... It's like, and he's just... It's like a Bond movie. He, you're right. I didn't even think about that. He's got, you know, the woman, the nurse, that's in love, you know, kind of got the hots for him. He spends all his time wanting to just, you know, sleep with this nurse. Cotters, pills, baths, injections, enemas. When all I need is love. It's true. All you really need is love. What makes you so sure you'll get a medical discharge? Because I'm a civilian at heart, lover. And I always follow my heart. Kiss. How's that, command? Oh, don't call me commander. It's unromantic. Now look, you're an officer yourself. How would you like it if I called you lieutenant lover? Let's be democratic. Just call me sir. Yes, sir. He's he's super sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think it's kind of like, well, this is America. Maybe to the English people, this is an American. He's yeah. confident. He he kind of says whatever he wants. He <laughs> he's only out for himself because he's always trying to get out of something. Yeah, he never wants to do it. He just wants to go back to the U.S. Yeah, he's like, he I does, want my medical discharge. He doesn't want to fight. He, <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah, that's that was like really we kind of confusing to me at at point cuz I'm like he's suddenly in this like resort and I'm like yeah, how did he get here? It is. It's like it's like a resort. Like it's supposed to be a hospital. Right. Uh, and they do show that it's a hospital, but like it's they don't really show that it's a hospital. They show like him hanging on the beach. I'm like how did he get here? Who are these people? Like cuz it just goes from he goes to this little Thai village. Right. They help him and then he goes off on a boat, which again I don't know what his plan was on He's the boat. He's just drifting out in the ocean. He just drifts out and then they mention later that they like found him, just yeah. happened to find him. And then now he's at this hospital resort hanging out with this beautiful blonde. Uh, you know, and they're frolicking in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's even the scene where well, cause the British the British uh commander says oh, i want you to come talk to so-and-so tomorrow and then the next day they pull up in a car and the nurse is leaving you know his his bungalow and the guys give each other Every, that, that winking look I, like she she's leaving and everybody turns to, and looks at her stops <laughs> yeah. whatever they're doing yeah there's like soldiers training there's that's like the most old movie funny part is the resort part because it's like not necessarily funny intentionally but it's like funny just because it's just like it's so of the time and it's just like it's so weird everything it's like he's just at this resort there's like a point where like he almost gets he gets attacked by this guy who's training because he thinks he's part of the training right I'm like, he's, he's they're like in yeah, the yard they're just something. like he's just walking through the camp it's like are they doing training just in the middle of the camp? like so. it's just like things are just happening and they're really using funny. live live explosion explosives yeah, this guy's just too. like blowing things up it's just so weird it it's just that that's what i thought was really funny that's what, Very clumsy. Always use your knife immediately, Joyce. Immediately, man. You see, he's gained the initiative. 
Wait a minute. I'm terribly sorry, sir. Uh, you're sorry. So am I, sir. I, I thought you were the enemy, sir. Well, I'm an American, if that's what you mean. That'll be all, Joyce. The best uh, line, this is a Bond line, is the later when he's going. and Because he, he, and I like this twist that I didn't see coming, was that he's not actually a commander. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't uh, see that um, coming either. Which, and he just... You know, he was with a commander who died, and so he just put on his uniform and pretended to be a commander because he thought it would help. He knew he would, he potentially would get treated better in the prison camp, which is actually a good idea. And they they don't like think it's bad that no. he did that, but like then he continues to do it, like, right? Even when he's at the hospital with the British, he still lies, and they they you know they know that he's yeah. not. But the best line he says there was there was certain advantages of being an officer, and then the guy goes. Yes, I saw one at the beach. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's like such a. I was yeah. like, that's the comedy line. That's <laughs> right. the Bond line. I was captured, so. So you'll change uniforms with a dead man. I thought officers would get better treatment in prison camps. Well, it's very sensible. Not that it did me any good, because at Saito's camp, the officers worked along with the rest. Yes, there's always the unexpected, isn't there? I kind of got used to being a commander and. So when I arrived here at the hospital, I took a look at the enlisted men's ward, and I took a look at the officer's ward, and I said to myself, well, let's let it ride along for a while. There were certain definite advantages. Yes, I saw one of them on the beach. <laughs> and, and of course, you know, you're right. They, he, he confesses, because they want him to go back to the, to the camp or to, to Thailand and blow up the bridge. Yeah, because uh, they've gotten, of course, some intelligence that the bridge is now being built somewhere else, and it seems to be moving along pretty well. It's really good. It's getting really good, and they, we need to blow up this bridge by a certain date because there's a a big train coming through, and they want William Holden to go back with them, and he's he then he confesses, I'm not Shears, I'm really you know I'm not a, a commander at all. I did all this stuff, and of course they know already. And they essentially are like, well, the Americans don't really want you because because you pretended to be an officer, and we can, they can't really put you up as a hero from escaping from a prisoner of war camp. So they gave the, you to us, basically. Yeah. So he's tra- trapped into going back and helping them, um, and it's just again that he's trying to weasel out of it any way he can. He's he's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But of course, they force him to do it. Uh, and that's that. Uh, there's another funny line later, when they they get t- back to Thailand, and there's at some point where you know the, they realize that the bridge is in a different place. They something else. They have to go through jungle that he's never been through, and he's like, "So the we're going to a place I've never been. The bridge is totally different." He says it's dangerous to spend the night in the village. There's an enemy post about three miles away, so we shall have to sleep in the jungle. What about Chapman, sir? Yeah, his people will bury him and his shoe. You know something wrong? I was just thinking. You speak Yai's language. I don't. He's going to lead you back to the river Kwai himself by a route I never took. Will someone tell me why I'm so indispensable to this outfit? I know how you feel. 
uh, you know, essentially they don't need him. And he's like, yeah. so when did I become so important to this mission? Yeah, I wrote that down too. I, <laughs> I was, don't remember the exact yeah, line. Yeah, I wrote that down where I was like, you know, he's kind of right. They don't need him. Like, what do they need him for? <laughs> right. Because it's not like... Like, yeah, he was there at the camp, but it's not like he knows the jungle (laughs) because they go there and then like immediately find a Thai guy that's like actually a guy. Right. It's like why he doesn't need him at all. (laughs) He didn't do anything. Yeah, that's true. Because they go to that village and they're like, oh, yeah, we we found a guy who hates the Japanese because they took all the men. And that's the other thing. They took all the men from the village to work on the mm-hmm. on the the bridge. So there's only women, and yeah. then there's all these scenes of there's so many the 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 American or the American and the English soldiers looking lovingly at the Thai women, and the Thai women looking lovingly yeah. at the at the Westerners. There's like there's like scene like the classic scenes where they're cleaning them and <laughs> yeah. they're like always looking at them and touching them and. And they even do that, like, before when he initially gets saved. And I was just like, he even says, and where I'm just like, yeah, it's, like, racist. And and he, like, where he says, what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? Yeah. Which is just like... You're lovely. Lovely. Be happy in your work. Yes, sir. It's just racist. It's just racist. It's just like, what does that mean? Like, like he's just saying, oh, this John, this savage. Yeah. It's just like, it's just another one of those old exotic. Yeah, it's the exoticism. Yeah, right. You know, but they do show that they're they're stronger than the guys because they just. I mean, they're literally carrying all their packs. Yeah. The women through the jungle. They're not complaining. They don't say a thing. Um, that is a, an area where I thought there were there was some things that could have been edited down to make the movie a little shorter. I don't know if you needed all those scenes of them hacking through the jungle, all those scenes of them, you know, crossing this yeah. and that. And, and, I mean, it just seemed to go on and on and on and on. Uh, before they finally get there, and of course, you know they they do set it up where um, the main commander gets shot, and because they you know they come across some Japanese, and he, in the battle he gets shot, and there's the whole thing about the young guy whether he's going to have the mm-hmm. the will to kill somebody, uh, which again I don't know if that was a necessary subplot. I mean, I think it was fine. I think it was like a fine thing to have. A- a little character thing and uh and it, it I mean it, and it does like raise questions about yeah it's true and, war he, do, and he does have, in the end he does have to kill um uh, Saito. Saito with with his knife that was the whole thing it's would you have the guts to knife somebody yeah uh, and you know there's a point while they're trudging through the jungle and they do come across some Japanese soldiers and one of them's getting away, and the young guy chases him and kind of confronts him in the in the middle of the jungle, and he doesn't kill him right away. Yeah, the other commander, the commander has, has to, to kind of wrestle with him. And that scene too, where they have the a little portrait of the Japanese woman, like his wife or something, yeah. that he sees. Um, 
So like, which is like you know a little good humanizing, humanizing. thing, and that I actually think this movie does pretty good job of like humanizing the enemy, humanizing the yeah. Japanese. I mean, yeah, there's still the the enemy, the enemy, there's still the bad guys, but like even the even Saito is to me, I you know I, I he what I did feel I empathized with him somewhat, and which I and I wish they did that a little bit more almost with Alec Guinness. Like I wish there was a human like a moment where Saito where they sh- like where they show Saito crying yeah. alone is like a really interesting moment to include and I wish they included a moment like that for Alec Guinness. Yeah, you don't really get any humanizing of Alec Guinness until literally his last scene when he says, "What have I done?" He realizes what he's done. But there isn't, like you said, that you don't see him weak and when he's hungry and dirty. You don't really see him questioning anything at all. It's all about that pride and and oh, we're gonna show the enemy that we're 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 better soldiers. We're more civilized. We're you know we're more organized and more disciplined than any than they mm-hmm. are. I mean that's his whole driving uh, motivation. Um, there was a scene that totally reminded me of Indiana Jones was when all the bats took off. Yeah. I noted that too. I didn't I didn't think of Indiana Jones, but yeah, like the giant vampire yeah. bats. <laughs> Cuz I mean it was almost that exact same scene. But yeah, there's just so many bats. And just hundreds of these giant bats take off and I just an instant flash to that scene in in um <laughs> In uh, which one is it? Temple of, Temple of Doom. Yeah, when the, all the bats take off. Yeah. I yeah, it, that was I did make note of that not because of Indiana Jones, just because I was like, that's a lot of bats, and it's interesting to include it. I mean, I think too, it shows. It shows just the, this exotic yeah. place. And, and I did make a note that this probably would have been pretty um, amazing to see on the big screen. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, and at the beginning it said, you know, it's in Technicolor. It has that, yeah. it had that whole opening Cinemascope. Part. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it was obviously filmed to be a huge visual epic, too. And it's part of it, I think, is that showing the bats taking off. Uh, they obviously built a whole camp in the jungle yeah. somewhere. They, and they built a bridge. Yeah. I mean, that's they have a huge bridge. They blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they... There's that huge pullback at the last shot of the movie is, I mean, well, like, I, and that's actually one of the only things that I knew about the movie was that they blow up the bridge. Right. Um, which is kind of a spoiler because it's kind of like, are they going to be able to do it? But I did know that they did blow it up. Uh, and, like, everybody dies pretty much except for the <laughs> medic. Yeah. So the medic's the only one alive. And I forget what he says. He he basically states what I put down that he states kind of the whole statement on war and how how war changes people. He just says madness. Yeah, he, he madness. does like uh, oh the humanity. Yeah, I mean it's it's he sees well again kind of in the plot. So obviously William Holden and uh, the English commander and the the local Thai people and I think the other guys and I know he's Canadian is the oh, other guy yeah. they make it to the bridge they scout it out they have a whole plan where they're going to float downstream and plant explosives on the bridge and then the Canadian's going to go even further downstream and essentially when the train's coming across he's going to hit the plunger 
to blow up the bridge. Uh, and so they're all in their places. And I think the commander's going to shoot mortars and William Holden's going to has a rifle. But of course, during the night, uh-huh. the, the river level go, has gone down. So you can see the wires in the water and on the beach. And there is that interesting scene where the Canadians throwing yeah. sand hand by hand China. to try and cover up the, the wire. Yeah. And so they're just sitting there waiting, basically waiting for the train to come. And of course they're gonna have a big celebration about the Japanese train coming and uh, but the night before, this is the other thing that kind of was weird to me. The night before the the prisoners have a huge kind of burlesque show. And I was like, when did they have time to build this giant stage? And, and they get this huge stage with curtains and walls. And, the, you know, of course, it's the classic. The soldiers are dressed up like women and they're doing dances and they're singing songs. There's a little model of the bridge in the background. It's just like, yeah, like Alkins is like, you know, they put on a. They're, they're putting on some entertainment tonight. Yeah, it's just so. <laughs> <laughs> like, and while that's happening, they're like sneaking. And yeah, they're planting putting, they're the... planting the explosives. I forgot that that's those two things. Things they're bouncing back and forth between the celebratory stage show and them planting the explosives. So then the next day, the water's gone down, um, and Alec Guinness is doing one last kind of loving look at the bridge like he he's there like i th- what's happening is all the soldiers have gone ahead yeah uh to the next camp yeah oh that's right they closed the camp down so they've closed the camp and then um and then the japanese people are there waiting for the train to come and he's staying behind with the medic because he wants to see the train right cross and so he's basically part just part of the Japanese yeah at that point. I mean he's like this is a tremendous moment and in fact he's down there on the bridge and the medic he says don't you want to come down here and watch from down here and the medic's like you know I actually know I he he basically is like I don't really agree with what you did yeah. and so he goes up onto the jungle to watch yeah, like he's at this point, he's kind of all chummy with with the Japanese. Yeah, with he is. Jap- he's like you know, I think he like you know, he like greets Japanese soldiers. He's like walking on the bridge. Right. And- he he basically has got free reign. He's, he's saluting everybody. Like uh, yeah, and and you know, he notices there's a wire or something's not right. Yeah. And one thing I before we get to that part. He's leaning over the bridge and he drops his little baton. Oh, yeah. And and I was like, is that that's gotta mean something? Yeah, that's gotta be. And I, it's not even a baton; it's just a stick. Cause cause his baton. Oh, he broke his baton. Saito breaks his baton and then he just gets a stick to carry around. It's like, like a his baton. symbol of power or of of his position. Something. In- yeah, and that that I did notice that I was like that's obviously very intentional. I'm not 100% like what the symbolism is, but that he's, you know, leading over the edge and he 
dro- accidentally drops his baton <laughs> yeah. off the bridge. Or if it made any difference at all, really. Particularly in comparison with other men's careers. I don't know whether that kind of thinking is very healthy, but I must admit I've had some thoughts on those lines from time to time. But tonight... Tonight... Last. I must be off. And like you said, he notices the wire, and he's kind of, he's puzzled. He's, he's in, and you hear the train whistle in the distance, mm-hmm. so you know the train's coming. And he basically goes to Saito, and he says, there's something weird going on here. And they, he walks Saito down to the bottom, finds the, the, the wire, and just starts following it. And, and he basically says, I think they're going to blow up our bridge. They're going to blow up the bridge. And then, like, you know, the Canadian guy who's, like, waiting to do it but is still waiting because he wants the train to come, you know, he ha- he runs up and, and stabs Saito and, and kills him. And then he's like, you know, I'm a allied soldier. Yeah, and then, we're here to blow up the bridge. And then... You know, Al and Alec Guinness is yelling for help, yelling for help, and like, ta- like, you know, wrestling with him, and is like, no, this isn't, you know, stop. So basically, you know, he's working for. Yeah, he he gives them up, and then, then of course, uh, the Japanese start shooting, and um, William Holden runs. He swims across, doesn't William he? William Holden swims across. the 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 Canadian guy gets shot. And William killed. Holden gets shot. Um, Alec, um, then the the British commander starts firing off the mortars, and he actually has like a moment of kind of regret, remorse, where he's like, because his mortar is the thing that kills. Oh, that's right, Alec Guinness. Yeah, and so he's like, you know, I had to do it, you know, right, whatever. But see, so like, is like his explanation to like the Thai women that are still with him, right? But. Which is kind of interesting, but basically, Alkinus die. He gets, you know, he gets hurt, fatally wounded. He's like, you know, he has this realization of like, what have I done? And then he falls on on the 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 plunger thing. The yeah, the the trigger, and it and he dies, and then the bridge explodes. What have I done? goes i mean the timing is perfect the train's going over as it explodes and it crashes down and obviously that must have been a, a one shot <laughs> a one shot chance yeah they got that one they, they, had, they had that one chance to do it and then i was surprised the movie just ends yeah the medic comes down he says madness this madness and then it has this huge pullback like you know it starts up 
pretty close to the medic and pulls like helicopter yeah, shot. Yeah, huge helicopter all shot. the way back, and then it ends. And then there is some image of these giant birds flying around, and then it ends. And and I, that was the other thing. I wasn't sure what. There's like one, a couple second shots of these big. I don't know if they're vultures or what, just circling in the sky, and then the end. You know, it. it I don't know why they showed the birds. I don't know. But it was it was a little jarring to me that, that it's like, you know, you get that statement of madness, mad, and then boom, the movie's over. I But I don't know what else you would do. I know, I mean I liked I like that end. I thought the end was good. I mean I the 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 pullback shot is tremendous and you're right, especially back then. I mean today you do it with the drone. Uh, back then, you know, you you have to get a helicopter and a, I don't a helicopter in the fifties. I mean, it must have been really expensive. Yeah, I mean, they obviously put up a lot of money in this movie. You know, they have a big bridge, they have a train, they blow up the bridge, the train also <laughs> falls. Like, and it's it's all I, as far as I can tell, it's all location filming. Yeah, it doesn't. Nothing. Looks nothing like looks a studio set. at all. Yeah, nothing looks like a set. I was even looking that maybe it was a set, like maybe at the resort, and maybe there were some scenes in the resort that were, that on, were on a set, set yeah. but like outside of the no. resort, I'm, I it looked real and like they were somewhere uh, or in Sri Lanka. Yeah, I don't know if they filmed that part in Sri Lanka or not, but I I did look up where did they film this movie, and it said Sri Lanka, and they they built that whole bridge, they blew up that whole train. I mean, I, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's. It's an epic. It's pretty. I mean, it is long. I don't think. I don't really think it's like really overly long. Like, yeah, there are some things that maybe couldn't that they could have cut. And but I didn't feel when I was watching. It, I wasn't feeling like this is too long and it could be a lot shorter. It seemed. I, I mean, to me, I, I do wish there were a few edits to shorten it up a little bit. Um, uh, and I don't know whether it was because, you know, where I was watching it when I watched it and the fact that I watched it on my iPad, uh, you know, versus maybe watching it on a bigger screen. It's, it's you know, I couldn't help but compare it to Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Lawrence of Arabia is a better film. Yeah. Uh, that has similar themes, you know, in terms of, yeah. you know, what, a man's place in, in in war and and there are scenes with Peter O'Toole about kind of you know that kind of proving yourself that this kind of thing. Uh, this was a little bit more of a straightforward war movie to me than say Lawrence of Arabia, um, with those subtexts of pride and yeah and and you know again who's got who's more civilized than the other and. And maybe the hubris of pride, that kind of thing. I put down it's a combination of a World War II prisoner of war movie, an adventure film, a secret mission film, and a study in the twisted ideals of honor, duty, and pride. Yeah. (laughs) That's not a bad description of it. And, yeah, comparing it to Lawrence Arabia, obviously by the same director, has some of the same actors. It's also an epic. It's also war. Um it's like an hour longer. Yeah, Lawrence of Arabia is longer. Um, it doesn't. It didn't. Thinking back, it doesn't seem that much longer than this movie. Uh, I think visually, obviously David Lean, I think got better, even better at doing those 
those big. Yeah, yeah. Lawrence Arabia is definitely like more visually striking. Yeah. Like there are certain shots in Lawrence Arabia that are just. They're they're next iconic. Level. Yeah, uh, there isn't an iconic shot from this movie except unless you count the blowing up the bridge. Yeah, there isn't quite like that level of of like visuals, but. And it, it's an hour long. Like it's it's long. Like Lawrence Arabia is long. I Lawrence I, I like, do think Lawrence Arabia is better, and I think Lawrence Arabia is is really good. I think yeah. it's it's like near perfect. And again, we probably shouldn't be comparing the two. I just couldn't but, help it. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it is hard, but it's. I don't think that this one is too like yeah i don't think it's, it's too long too long i don't think it's too long and i also i was kind of surprised there wasn't an intermission i thought <laughs> i thought there kind of i thought there might be just I, and i don't know what what at what length an intermission a movie with an intermission kind of has to be yeah because uh, this is what two hours and 40, 40 minutes yeah lawrence arabia i think is three hours and 40 minutes yeah and you said Lean did uh, Dr. Zhivago, which I think is also a three-hour-plus movie, and I believe, I'm believe i sure it has an intermission, too. Um, yeah, this one doesn't have an intermission. Uh, and obviously, a two-hour and 40-minute movie for, for this time period, not common. Yeah. I wouldn't think. I don't know. I, I yeah. mean, today, every movie's two hours and 40 minutes long, it seems like. <laughs> it's uh, not as long as The Batman. <laughs> you're right. Uh, but th- it's an enjoyable movie. It's got some some odd quirks to it, like the stuff with William Holden in, in the yeah in the hospital. It's a little weird. Uh, you know, some strange little characteristic quirks. The all the performances are good. Yeah, the acting is really good. I can see why Alkinis won uh, for it, and, and like the Japanese actor. Uh, Kayakawa. He's really good. He got nominated, didn't win, yeah. but he did get nominated uh, for supporting. Um, and and, he, yeah, and William Holden, I'm trying to, th- you know, I know William Holden, but I can't think of a specific other movie that that he's in. I mean, he's really good in it, and, and again, he's he's good as the the stereotypical kind of cocky yeah, American. I mean, he, he plays that American. role well. There's, yeah, I I really only have a couple things that I want to bring up which are like um which we didn't I didn't get in at the beginning which was um the character introductions which I I like character introductions yeah. I said before and they do a really good job yeah like having a uh, William Holden be you know like grave digging and he you know is bribing the soldier he's forgets who he's even digging is a really good introduction right. and I think Alec Guinness's too like and that was something that I thought was really good, not just him, but of the soldiers, all the British soldiers was like they do the in the music, and them marching in. It's it's very much like a typical British, yeah, military and, right. That kind of whole pomp and circumstance. Pomp, but like they're all wearing tattered clothing, and you know because there's prisoners and and they're all dirty and 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 you know malnourished or whatever. But they still have this. Yeah, it's still shot like they, like it's a military parade. Right. And and they're still acting like that, but it is. So, and I think that's pretty much Alec Guinness's character. And at the end, 
when they march off, they're they're whistling that so- song again. Yeah, the song. So as they're leaving the camp and moving on to the next, they're doing the same. You're 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 right. I hadn't really thought about that in terms of the character introductions because William Holden's the first person you see when he's bur- bur- doing burying the or digging the graves, and like you said, you immediately know. Okay, this is his character. He's he's yeah. he's of a certain type. Alec Guinness is of a certain type. You get Saito immediately too. You know he comes out and he says what he his his point of view. You immediately know what kind of person he is too. And and the doctor as well. Even the doctor's constantly. He's only ever worried about his the the, the health and the welfare of the of the soldiers. I've seen and heard everything. So has every man in the hospital. There are too many witnesses. You'll never get away with calling it a mass escape. Most of those men can't walk. Is this your soldier's code? Murdering unarmed men? Uh, Yeah. You know, he's never really thinking about himself. It's just, you know, someone is sick. The other thing that I forgot to mention, too, and I know you've got some other points, was when we were talking about the shift in... Alec Guinness's character, because his whole thing at the beginning is officers shouldn't work, uh, and you know the soldiers should be treated well. Later, when they're behind schedule, yeah, he makes his officers work. Captain, we are facing a crisis. Yes, sir. I've just spoken with Reeves and Hughes, and we are not going to finish the bridge on time. Oh. We just haven't the manpower, that's all. I've asked the officers to lend a hand, and they've agreed, but even that won't do it. You mean the officers are going to work on the bridge? Yes, I explained the situation to them, and they volunteered to a man, but it's not enough. Why don't you ask Saito for some of his men? Wouldn't dream of it. No, this is yeah. And he pulls the people out of the sick the sick tent at the hospital and makes them work. So he basically does exactly what the Japanese wanted him to do. Yeah, he's like, and that was like an ultimatum before where Saito's like, if you don't, if you don't let the officers work, I'm gonna make the sick people yeah. work, and he still doesn't give in. Right. But you know, he, you know, yes, he maybe doesn't do it as forcefully. He kind of comes in and is like, "Do you want to work? Like, right. if anybody wants to, or thinks they can work, like, come." But it's true that like, he kind of he gets so lost in this it, yeah. project and what it means to him or whatever that he just kind of forgets and he's so much about the principle right that he that i guess he forgets some of his he forgets other the big picture yeah it's all about the narrow focus of i'm going to prove that i am the best english leader that we're going to get this bridge done that he kind of throws out all of his other principles yeah it's it, it, that, yeah. that was interesting it's interesting um and I mean, I don't have really points. They're just little things that I noticed I thought were kind of funny was in the uh, with uh, William Holden and their crew going to blow up the bridge. There's a rate. They have a radio and they try to fix it. And he like kicks it or something and it starts working. And then they, they have a radio Tokyo. Yeah. Like propaganda. Right. A station that's kind of funny. That's like you're listening to Radio Tokyo. Yeah. What's wrong with that thing, Joyce? I don't know, sir. It's taken an awful beating. I I can't seem to get a strong signal. I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's wet, mildewed, corroded, rotten. 
like everything else in this rotten jungle. You might as well dump it. This is Radio Tokyo signing off. This is your friendliest enemy, reminding you to take it easy or never volunteer for anything. And like, you should surrender or something. Like, I don't know what it says in English. It's like, yeah, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, and another thing in the resort and all the British people, they always they're so British that, <laughs> they are. that they say like, you know, they always want tea. They want, you know, very British things. But then they always are like, good show. Uh, yeah. Jolly good show. Jolly sir. good show. Uh, Cheerio. Good man. And, just... <laughs> and, and William Holden even says, sar- kind of sarcastically, cheerio back to him at one point. You're right. They're so stereotypically British. Yeah, they're always saying good show. Good show, old man. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. That's, where that's why there were times when I wasn't sure. Are they holding this up as a celebration of this, this Englishness? Or are they making fun of it? Or are they, you know... Um, saying that this is bad because it essentially that's what causes Alec Guinness to go kind of go over the deep end and be so focused on finishing the bridge. It's his English pride, but at the same time, everyone is so English. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I don't know. I, I still don't know. And, and, and maybe, you know, this is obviously, an, I, as far as we know, an English production, and um, the English in some ways are the heroes but on the other hand, you know, you might say it's really the um, William Holden, the American, that's the hero. I mean, he does end up dying. He sacrifices himself essentially for this mission that he didn't even want to go yeah. on. Canadian guy. Canadian guy. I yeah. mean, I think they also were probably wanting to have the whole allies. That's true. Thing yeah. of, yeah. you know. It's not just the British. It's not just the British, even though Swin is obviously British yeah. focused. Uh, but. It's an entertaining it's movie. It's a good movie. A, I, I do think it's really good. And I agree. It's it's a classic and for rating it. Um I I wanna rate it high. Um I I I rated it a nine point five. Wow. Real high. Really high. And I was considering a nine. I was like nine I or nine point five. Um I don't I mean it's not a, I don't think it's a ten. I, I don't think we've had a movie yet that's, that's perfect. like and not that it has to be perfect, no. but like like I think Lawrence of Arabia is a ten. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that movie's perfect. That's true. There but, there are but yeah. I do think it's a ten. And in this one I, I I was just really engaged by it. I was entertained and I think having the dual storylines was really good and keeps you entertained. You're not yeah. all with Alec Guinness and That's true. And they are there's definitely a different tone with the William Holden character that I yeah. that I think is good. So I, I, I rated it an eight and a half. Um I, I do think it could have been a little leaner. No pun intended, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it is a it is a really good movie. If you, I would say if if you're interested at all in war movies, yeah, I mean because it really is a war movie. No, there's not a lot of battle scenes, but it's you know it's it's of its of that World War II genre that 
it's probably a must see. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, especially if you're interested in, in that more of a because it is a smaller story. It's not like D Day or whatever. You know, yeah. it's it's a smaller story. It's really focused in on really three people. It's William Holden, Nicholson, and Saito. I mean, it's really the yeah. story of those three people. Um, and visually, it's really good, and, and technically, it's it's stunning. So, um, I'm actually surprised you re- you you enjoyed it that much. Yeah, uh, this is like a theme. I I'm like liking movies that are long, <laughs> old. This is but this is the polar opposite of. Yeah, it's it's very different. This one's much more action packed. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, and that's what I mean. I like about it too was that I was there's always things going on. Yeah, and so. I was always in it. But I was also in Entertainment with the Red Circle, too, yeah. where I'm like, I was engaged with it, even though maybe there wasn't as much going right. on. Right, yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it's a good movie. It's a good it's movie. A good movie. And, good and movie. I think most people consider it a classic. Yeah. So, excellent. So, we, yeah. I guess, uh, you know, kind of a, a strange pairing between the album and the, and the, <laughs> and the movie yeah, um, very different. <laughs> very different very vibes different. Uh, between the two. But overall, again, an enjoyable year. Um, I don't know if you've got any other concluding statements on the movie. No. Al Guinness is better in it than Lawrence of Arabia. He's yeah. not doing brown face. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's obviously when we if, – if, if and when if we were to ever talk about Lawrence of Arabia, that's the downside to Lawrence of Arabia. And not that this one, obviously, there are some racist things yeah. in this one, um, but uh, yeah, they, it's Lawrence Arabia is definitely more obvious right. in its racism, um, and I mean, I'll, really in this movie too. I mean, again, there's like no women in it. Yeah, um, you know, I, I and I typically don't, which is criticize. I don't that criticize when, when... it because there isn't any women in it. I mean. You know, it is a war, a war yeah. movie. It is about prisoners. I mean, so, and, and unfortunately, the only the real only, woman yeah. character is the nurse, and she's just there. She's just the object. Yeah, she's just the object. I mean, in I mean, they, Arabia, someone even wolf whistles at her as she's yeah, walking like, down the street. Yeah, like, and may, I don't know if this is better or not, but Lawrence Favia just doesn't have women in it. Like, it's not like Lawrence Favia just doesn't have women at all. Right. Like they, they not like. Not at all. This is like they do have a woman, but they're the objects right. of you know sexual desire. Right. Where Lawrence Arabia just doesn't have women in it. Period. Right. And again, sometimes I have to say, if it's in a genre film like a war movie that's set particularly around battle, or in in Lawrence of Arabia, it's you know a culture where women aren't really out in the open that much that doesn't bother me so much no it doesn't it doesn't like this doesn't bother me at least you know in principle it shouldn't it shouldn't matter that there are movies that don't have women in it right you know because as long as not every movie is like right that. i agree um, as long as not every movie you know is in like principle that. yes obviously there are much many more movies that are all men than there right. are that are all women yeah, yeah. but um I don't want to take away from the, from movie, the movie because of that. that. Right. Um, so good, but, a good 1957. Enjoyed the record or the album. 
probably enjoyed the movie a little more uh, just because of that's just how it goes in terms of the engagement. But it, it, overall, again, it was really good. So I'm going to pull out the random number generator for our next year of the 100 years. So let me hit generate. 1980. 1965. Oh, <laughs> it's a special year. A special year. My birth year. Wow. So um, let's take a break. And we'll come back in a moment to see what album and movie we will uh, listen to and watch from 1965. And we're back. So, again, for the next podcast, uh, the random number generator gave us the year of 1965. So for the album, we are going to be listening to Highway 61 Revisited by Bob Dylan. And the movie we're going to be watching is A Patch of Blue. So this will be a, a good representation of the 1960s, I believe. Uh, so, um, all right, I guess we will uh, catch you on the next episode of Reels and Revolutions. Bye. Thank you, Simon. Remember to be happy in your work. Oh, I'm dying for a cup of tea. Jolly gun. Cheerup. Cheerio. Good show. Oh, Colonel Green, sir. This is Major Shears. He's just volunteered to go back and help me blow up the Quai Bridge. Really? Good show. Jolly good show, Major. Good hunting. Good show. Jolly good fun. Jolly, jolly good.